Thank you, Brother Bickley. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless your name today, Jesus. We bless your name today, Jesus. You're worthy, Father. You're worthy. We honor and exalt you today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord today. Amen. I realize that the last two months I'm not a stranger here like I normally am, but I don't haven't obviously haven't preached here in a while, so it's a privilege to be able to preach to you this morning. And um, thankful for this opportunity today. Give honor to your elder brother Joel and sister Kate and their job of leadership in this congregation. It's very. I am very thankful for what God is doing at Antioch. Amen. Amen. And uh, I, before I read my text, um, I, let me just say quickly, if I could, if you um, see me slip out of here shortly after I preach, I'm not trying to be unsocial. I'm actually preaching at uh, College Park this afternoon as well, so um, I may have to slip out of here if, um, depending what time we get done. And, and uh, so I just don't want to be offensive to anyone if I don't greet somebody, please understand what's my reasoning. So Isaiah chapter 53, familiar passage of scripture to most of you, I'm sure one of the uh, prophecies with regards to the coming of the Messiah and what would happen and things that would take place and why. I'll read to you the first five verses, start with verse number one. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is not at all the message, but let me just challenge somebody today. Our job is not to impress people. It's not to try to impress people with Jesus. Isaiah said, when you look at him, there's not going to be anything attractive about him as far as looks. But what is attractive is not what he looks like, but what he can do. It's the power and the ability that he has is what attracts us to him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
Amplified says, verse 4 and 5, this way, Surely He has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and our distresses. And He's carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered Him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. And I'll probably come back to this a little bit in the preaching, but what this verse is saying is we assume, they assume that what he was suffering was because he deserved it and it was his punishment. We misunderstood, they misunderstood that what he was dealing with was actually for us. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement, the needful, the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was on him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. I want to preach to you this morning for a little bit on this subject, when bloody is beautiful. When bloody is beautiful. Before you're seated, I don't profess to be a soloist, and so I'm not here to entertain, but there's an old song most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with, and you're welcome to join with me and sing it before we are seated. On Calvary's hill of sorrow Where sin's demands were paid And rays of hope for tomorrow Across our path were laid. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Oh, it's waves which reach the throne. Across 
Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. 
you may be seated. I would hope that everyone here today, I guess if you don't, it's not really a problem, but I would hope at least think the majority of us here believe that the world got here and the earth and everything that's a part of this world got here the way that Genesis 1 says that it got here. We didn't get here the way Mr. Darwin says that we got here. How something so absolutely complex in every aspect could have just happened to be is beyond my comprehension. I, I think it takes more faith to believe in Darwin's theory than it does to believe in Genesis theory. <laughs> to believe that somehow this happened by accident, knowing that everything else we see that's made, you, you don't happen to see a neighborhood that, invo- that evolved into a neighborhood. There, there's no cars that evolved into a car. There, there's no buildings that evolved into a... Somebody had a design. Somebody had a plan. Somebody got the materials together necessary to build that building or whatever it is. And so to think that all of this just so happened out of a, a big bang really hard to believe. So I would hope that everyone here, if you don't, uh, I would encourage you to check out what the Bible says in the first book of the Bible and how it says that we got here. Because I don't know about you, but I'm glad to know this is not an accident or a mistake. And my life is not here as an accident or a mistake. But the same Creator that spoke and said, let there be light and spoke all of this into existence is the same Creator that decided for my life to come into existence. Maybe somebody here had those unfortunate words told you by your parents that you were an accident. That may be their feelings, but can I tell you today, God has no accidents. God makes no mistakes. So from the account of creation, I have a feeling that this world that we live in today and life as we know it today is not what God originally intended. When I read what, relatively speaking, little there is about the garden The impression I get is the suffering and the pain and the heartache and the difficulties that we are so accustomed to as a part of life today. I don't think that was God's original intent. I think the the garden and the provision of the garden was such that God was not intending for man to live in suffering and pain and heartache. I know I'm not Jeff Morgan, but a man here and there is still much appreciated. I don't think that's what God intended. In fact, the impression that I get is God intended for life here on earth to be pretty comfortable. Climate to be comfortable. Life to be comfortable. But unfortunately, sin got in the way and sin continues to get in the way. The problem that I think we face in 2015, not that it's a new problem, but I do believe it is a magnified problem, and that is we have become so focused on making life more comfortable, 
making life more convenient. And in fact, a lot of our Christianity and religion has to do with improving this life. I'm sorry to tell you, and I'm also not sorry to tell you, that Jesus Christ did not do everything He did and go through everything He went through just to make this life here and now better for you. He did not come and walk this earth and go through the death that He went through so you didn't have to suffer or have heartache and pain. That's not why He came. Ultimately, He came so that you could have life and life everlasting. How many times people get disillusioned with the fact that God's not doing for us in this life what we want Him to do. People that walk away or give up their faith and belief in God because how can a good, loving God do here and now what is going on? Well, there's an answer for that. I'm not here to get into that this morning, but what I can tell you in addition to the other answer is He didn't just come about this life. He said, I've come that you have might have life and life more abundantly. And the ultimate goal was eternal life. I will tell you quickly today that he does bring life more abundantly in this life as well. But it's not pain free. It's not problem free. The majority of people in this sanctuary this morning are adults. There's a few teenagers that I see and Maybe there's a couple of children that are not in Sunday school today, but most of us in here today are adults. Is there anybody that's 30 years old and up that does not have some kind of physical issue? Anybody? You are 30 years and older, and there is absolutely no physical issue. I don't, I'm not talking about cancer. I'm talking about an ache, a pain, a joint problems, allergies, whatever. Okay, one more time, I, I, I'm getting what I expected, but just to be clear, <laughs> there is no one 30 and older that does not have some type of physical issue. I realize some of you here today have ones that are more severe and more significant than others. But everybody in this place, if you're an adult, and I probably most of the teenagers, especially the ones that have played sports, you, you, you've learned now that life has... And, and there's some things, it, it seems to me you pray as hard as you want to pray and there's just still going to be something in your body. <laughs> we get a little upset when God doesn't fix all of that. Really, ultimately, what He came to fix was not our physical bodies. It was not to take away the pain and the suffering that we deal with in our physical bodies, but it's to deal with the pain and the heartache and the suffering of our hearts, our souls. It's been said before, and I will say it again today, you can go to heaven blind, you can go to heaven deaf, you can go to heaven with cancer, you can go to heaven with sugar diabetes, you can go to heaven with all kinds of physical issues. The good news is when you get there, Whatever physical issues you may have gotten there with. We're going to, this mortality, this mortality, I, 
I ran into somebody yesterday. If I called their name, a lot of you would know them. I, I bumped into them at, at uh, Home Depot yesterday, uh, late morning, and, and we were chatting. And, and we have a mutual acquaintance that uh, used to play racquetball at the, the place where I play racquetball. And, and, uh, and they were t- this guy is like in his 60s, and, and, and the, the person I was talking to was referencing him that that he sees this guy and, and he's hobbling around. He's like, where are you going? Well, I'm going to play softball. I play in the 60 and older league. And he was kind of, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of cynicism that he was saying about that guy. And then I just had to say, well, I, I'm probably going to be that guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to be that guy too because I've already decided when, when the church softball team don't want me anymore, I'm going to, I guess the first step is 50 and older, which I got a number of years before I get there, but... There, there, there's pain and there's suffering in this life. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, not might, not maybe, not possibility, not a possibility of it, but in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I, I have faced the best the world had to offer and dealt with the wor- best the world had to offer. And the good news is not only have I overcome the world, but you can now have me as the overcomer living inside of you so you can also overcome the world. Uh, I, I, I feel like. I don't know, Brother Owens, if I have no way to really prove one way or the other. But I, it just feels to me the last little while, I, I think, I think it's spiritual discernment. It may be just my imagination. I, I Honestly, I'm not really sure. But I, I feel like that I've somehow, over the last little while, be, become more aware of the of just being out in public and sensing, feeling brokenness and pain and lives that, are, in fact, I was sitting in the barber shop yesterday, and, and there was a lady who had her little her little boy in there was sitting across from me. She, I would guess her to be late twenties, early to mid thirties at the most. Now, there, there was nothing about her from an outward appearance that, but I, there was just a sense. I can't prove to you if that's my spiritual discernment or just my imagination. I, th- I think, I think it's more spiritual discernment. The reason I think that is all of us really need an awareness of the brokenness of our world. Because you know what I believe today? Not only like every adult in this place has some kind of physical issue. There's also internally or, or, or spiritually, emotionally, not an adult that doesn't have some kind of brokenness. Not one. I don't care how, how good you look today. I don't care how, I don't care what kind of front you put on. I don't care how, how much arrogance you may be able to walk around with like you got it all together. There's somebody that knows beyond your facade. 
There's somebody that is able to see down deep inside of you and there's stuff that goes on inside of you that you can't hide. You can hide it from others. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your kids. You can hide it from your parents. You can hide it from the preacher, but you can't hide it from the one who sees it all. And I don't care what kind of an air you put on and I don't care what kind of personality you have developed. Yes, I said you have developed. Because I believe there's a lot of folks today who they seem to be is not who they are. They have made themselves into something to protect themselves. Oh, hallelujah. So they, they, they have, they have this air of harshness about. Sarcasm about them. That really down deep inside, that's not who they are, but that's who they're going to make you think they are because I refuse to get hurt one more time. I refuse to be vulnerable one more time. And so before you have a chance to get at me, I'm just going to go ahead and set the, the parameters here. So the verses we have read today, especially verse number we use it a lot we use it a lot when we're dealing with healing physical healing and I would say to you today that I think we have missed what is the most important point of by his stripes we are healed Because the majority of the time I have either heard that verse used or even used it myself. It was in an effort to build faith for physical healing. And and I'll read to you here in a little bit what the experts say. I'm just a student. (laughs) Let me read to you. Actually, before before I do that, let me... I realize that there there are those of us in this room that have weak stomachs and then there are those with strong stomachs. There are those that nothing bothers them, whether it's real life, alive in person or pictures, doesn't phase them. And there are others... You don't even have, you don't have to see anything. Somebody just needs to say, just mention. I, my dad's probably watching this morning, but won't be the first time I've probably gotten myself in a little bit of trouble with my my dad has a he has a tendency when you start talking about gross stuff at the dinner table, he he don't do well with that. Somebody finds a hair in their food and then begins to tell other stories about other hairs in their food. And it doesn't take long before he, that's enough. I'm telling, that's enough. But you need to stop. I'm, I'm not kidding. You need to. <laughs> of course, we're all very loving, respectful, and kind, and we just stop. <laughs> This isn't going to be pretty if you keep this. Some, it doesn't even, it it doesn't, it doesn't, it just, just the mention, the mere mention. 
And blood is one of those things that most of the time it's negative. Something or someone who is bloody is you, you, you unless you're in a position of trying to care and help, you, you really want to turn away and avoid it. But I'm I'm here today to tell you it's it's blood that's the reason we're here. Or it's blood that's the reason we can be here. And while most of what we face in life today in a natural sense with regards to blood is nothing attractive, there is a point at which bloody becomes beautiful. Because when the blood represents the only hope and solution that I have, it's no longer gross and disgusting. It's no longer something to turn away from, but it becomes the greatest sight I have ever seen. I, I Most of you know me today to some degree, or no, let me rephrase that, you know who I am. A lot of you don't really know me, you just think you know me. <laughs> For those of you that may not really know who I am, my parents started this church. I was born and raised in church, in the church. and I've had my failures and my moments of weakness, and I've sinned like the rest of you have, but I, I've, to the best of my ability, I've always been in church. I'm From the point I got the Holy Ghost at seven years old, I've, I've been in church. I've, I don't think I've ever backslid, I'm, unless I was somehow coming to church and doing all this and didn't realize it. So I, I realize for those of you that that's not your story. From a natural perspective, and I emphasize natural, you view me different. I don't need an amen. Thank you, brethren, on the platform for helping me, but this is a moment I'm not fishing for an amen. You do. I've, I've talked to some of you, and you do. Part of the difference is that somehow, but it's a natural mindset, somehow I'm not as in need of as much blood as you need it. Because God didn't have to reach down in the same pit that he reached down to get you out of. God didn't have to go into some of the same places to get me that he had to go to get you. But that is a natural human way of thinking. Because you cannot find anything in the Word of God that validates that point. But I can give you all kinds of things that contradict that point. The very simple one that always comes to mind is the Apostle said, All have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sometimes it's a negative thing depending on the perspective. But on the other hand, it's a very positive thing. God does not categorize sinners. God does not have classes of sinners. He doesn't have the group of the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the prostitutes and the, and, and the raised in the church kind of sinners. 
There is no such thing with God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so whether it was your addiction or your, 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 your drug abuse or whatever he pulled you out of, or if it was just basically my self-righteousness, the pit is the pit. We all have need. We all have need. I don't care if you were born and raised in this. We all have need. You know, let me, let me, let me say something to you young people here today that have been raised in the church. There's, there's a place in the scripture where Jesus talks about that those that are forgiven much love much. Well, if you take that at face value, the other side is if you weren't forgiven of a lot, you aren't going to love a lot. Of course, I guess we could start by qualifying what is being a forgiven of much. I guess the bottom line is if you've gotten forgiven of anything, you got forgiven of much. But let's be honest, we usually think of that in the context of forgiven of much of based on what you did. What kind of life you led. And so some are forgiven of more than the others. And, and that seems to be a little bit of the implication when you read those words. So, so therefore, if that's the case, do I need to go do something big to get forgiven of something big so I can love much? No, but you know what I can do? I may not have a bunch of big things like some have to be forgiven of, to love much. I can start thinking about what I've been spared from to not be for it, need to be forgiven of, to then love much. When I look at where I could be or what I could have been or what I could have done, maybe I didn't do it, but it's only the grace of God. But for the grace of God, there go I. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says this with regards to verse number four. He carried our sorrows. Literally, as for our sorrows, he carried them. The notion of substitution strictly. He carried, namely as a burden, sorrows, i.e. pains of the mind, as griefs refer, refer to pain of the body. Matthew eight seventeen might seem to oppose this and bear our sickness but he uses sicknesses figuratively for sins. Am I here preaching to you today that God does not heal physical things? No, I'm not. Can God heal physical things? Yes, he can. Has he? Yes, he has. Will he? Yes, he will. But is that the most important? No, it's not. Christ took on himself all man's infirmities so as to remove them. The bodily by direct Miracle grounded on his participation in human infirmities. He, he came and participated in what you and I have participated in. You know, we're, 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 and I, I know this is a dangerous subject to get into and touch on whatever. And so I, I will do it delicately not to stir up any feelings or emotions, but you know, we, we're, we're now in the season in which we're in the process of getting a new president and, 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 you know, one, one thing I hear them say on the news is, you know, people are tired of politicians. They don't want, poli they don't want a, just another politician. They want somebody that comes from real life experiences. I'm glad to know today that God was not just a politician. 
not just campaigning, looking at my needs and telling me, you're dealing with this and if you'll elect me, I'll fix this. Rather than just campaigning for a position, he said, I'm going to become the very thing that needs to be fixed. And I'm going to pay the price to produce the opportunity to fix it. So he took on him our suffering, our sickness, our infirmities, those of the soul by his vicarious suffering, which did away with the source of both. Sin and sickness are ethically connected as cause and effect. Yet we did esteem him stricken judicially, namely, for his sins, whereas it was for our sins. They, they, de- they determined that what he was dealing with and was going through was punishment for him. When in fact it was our punishment. In this we erred. It was not for his sins but for ours. It was not that he was smitten of God for his own sins. As if he had been among the worst of mortals. But it was because he had taken our sins. And was suffering for them. The very thing therefore that gave offense to us. And which made us turn away from him. Constituted the most important part of his work. It was really the occasion of highest gratitude. What he took, you know what, there, there's, there's, some, there's some of you here today, maybe it's a job situation. There's other examples and situations, I'm sure, but that's a simple one. I'm sure there's some people today that on your job you have suffered from the, from the decisions and the choices and the behaviors of others. That you have paid a price for what they've done or haven't done. Some of you deal with family situations where you are suffering not because of any choice you made, but a choice somebody else made. We get so upset with God. How, God, could you allow me to put up with something or have to deal with something that I am at no fault for, no blame for? I'm trying to preach love and compassion here today and be loving and compassionate so I don't want to come across some other way. But that's one of the most ridiculous things anybody could ever say or think. Because look at everything he went through. That he deserved none of it. Absolutely none. And yet he willingly, voluntarily, you know, it's one thing when you accidentally suffer for somebody else, for something that, that's one thing. But when you purposefully put a plan in motion to set yourself up to then have to take on somebody else's stuff, That's a whole different thing. And that's what he chose, not forced, chose to do. The chastisement, I'm sorry, I'm now reading from Barnes Notes, switched over and didn't state that. The chastisement of our peace, it is properly that which corrects whether it be by admonition, counsel, punishment, or suffering. Here it cannot properly mean punishment, for there is no punishment where there is no guilt. How could he be punished when he wasn't guilty? 
And the Redeemer had done no sin. But it means that He took upon Himself the sufferings which would secure the peace of those for whom He died. Those which, if they could have been endured by themselves, would have affected their peace with God. If they could have gone through what was necessary, then themselves could have fixed it. The word peace means evidently their peace with God. Reconciliation with their Creator. The work of religion in the soul is often represented as peace. And the Redeemer is spoken of as the great agent by whom that is secured. For He is our peace. He doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace. The phrase upon Him means that the burden by which the peace of people was affected was laid upon Him and that He bore it. It is parallel with the expressions which speak of His bearing it, carrying it, etc. And the sense of the whole is that He endured the sorrows, whatever they were, which were needful to secure our peace with God. The phrase, we are healed, literally it is healed to us. Or healing has happened to us. The healing here referred to is spiritual healing or healing from sin. Pardon of sin and restoration to the favor of God are not unfrequently represented as an act of healing. The figure is derived from the fact that awakened and convicted sinners are often represented as crushed, broken, bruised by the weight of their transgressions. And the removal of the load of sin is represented as an act of healing. You, you know part of the problem with this world we're in, this religious world we're in, that wants to eliminate sin? They want to call it all kinds of other things and not call it sin. When you don't identify the problem, you can't come up with the cure. Anybody ever been misdiagnosed for some kind of issue? Anybody? Anybody ever had been treated for a misdiagnosed issue and then finally they figured out we, we, we diagnosed the wrong thing? This is actually the problem. I, I had the, the privilege, I would consider it a week and a half ago, a week ago, a little over a week ago, I guess, to, kind of a last second, got an invitation to a a breakfast of six, eight pastors, and they were meeting with the the county executive. It's kind of a get to know you thing, and we sat there and listened, listened as the county executive talked about one of the biggest problems in our county is the drug problem. That our county is ranks up there at the top in the nation with some of the worst drug issues. And everything that they're trying to do and, and groups they're putting together and plans and programs they're putting together to try to take care of that. I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell our county executive today. There's nothing the government can do to fix it. Possibly there's some help, but not fix it. Because the only way to fix a sin problem is with a Savior. <laughs> the only way to deal with a sin problem is by dealing with it with the one that knows how to deal with sin. 
And when anybody tries to deal with a sin issue that doesn't have the ability to deal with a sin issue, you might get some momentary, temporary relief. But I'm here to tell somebody today, and maybe somebody just needs to be reminded today, there is some blood that still works. That it doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter what the sickness is. It doesn't matter what the spiritual disease is. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be cutesy and whatever else here today, but Christianity is supposed to be a bloody religion. You can't get away from it being a bloody religion because when you take away the blood, you take away the power of what Christianity can do. Sorry, I'm sorry, but if your religion does not have a solution for your sin, if your religion does not have the ability not just to help you be a better person from here and now, but to also take away what is in your past. That's what's, that's what's amazing about the blood. The blood takes care of my future. The blood takes care of my present. And the blood takes care of my past. That's the power and the effectiveness of the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? I don't care how broken you are today compared to what you've been in the past. I'm here to tell you the blood can make you whole again. And if need be, again. And if need be, again. And if need be, again. It's not just good enough for the first time. It's good enough every time. Thank God for the blood that washes white as snow. Hallelujah. 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 You know what? I, I don't understand why it is. I, I, I've had several surgeries now, three surgeries, I think. To get surgery, the doctor had to identify the problem. I never left the doctor's office one time feeling like I had been judged. How could you judge me for my issues? No, I was there because I needed and wanted help. So the devil has intimidated the church and especially the pulpit from preaching about sin because you're judging. 
But if you don't identify the issue, you can never deal with the solution. So it's not identifying sin to judge and put people down and lift people up, but it's to get somebody to realize the bottom line problem is a sin problem. But there's really good news. There is a solution for the sin, no matter what the sin. I know it's Sunday morning. Sunday morning is where we're supposed to talk more in parables or just stay away from stuff. I know that. Anybody knows that? I know that. But I walk around nowadays and it seems like there's people more pierced than ever. More tattooed up than ever. I saw an individual at the mall the other day, literally entire head. Tattooed. And you know what? You can get a self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude if you want. Or you can let, you can realize there's something deep going on there. Instead of passing by like one of those when the man was, when the, when the, when the, oh, what's that, the guy who was on the road to Jericho. And the religious passed by. The religious wonder what he did to get in that condition. Some of you need, I don't believe in this stuff of glorifying your past. I don't believe in that. And I've heard some people tell their testimony that the impression, I felt more like they were bragging than they were expressing the thankfulness for what God had brought them out of. So that being said, there's sometimes we need to remember You, you, I, I'm saying it again. I'm not trying to be unkind. You don't know me. I've said it for years about my dad. You, you don't know my dad. You don't know, you don't, all you get is what's presented in the pulpit. I, I don't mean that unkindly and I, 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 to the best of our ability, but I don't mean that as far as the hypocrites. I'm just saying on, you, you, you don't really get to know, I don't know most of you. I see your praise the Lord. How you doing? God bless you, brother. Right. And I think you're the most awesome people. You probably just cussed your spouse out in the car before you walked in church. You probably just screamed the whole way to church at your kids. But you walk in here and you got your praise on. And that's all I see. And if God don't tell me anything else, and most of the time I have no desire. And I want to see you the way I see you. I can't help the impression, and I, I, I'm I'm learning after 20 plus years of preaching. Actually, I guess about 25 years of preaching. It doesn't matter what you say and how you say it. Somebody is not going to get it, and somebody is going to leave offended by what you said, no matter how delicately you tried to say it. Because when you're listening through the filter of bitterness, you can never hear accurately. That was free. When you're listening through the filter of bitterness, everything gets twisted. That's why when you're looking through the filter of bitterness, every person that looks at you that happens to have a scowl on their face, it's all about you. You know what? That's a big ego. To think that what's going on in their world is all about me. I'm being a little bit facetious. You Don't get too mad at me. You can get a little bit mad, not too mad. 
I've had people, well, you looked at me a certain way. And then I've had them, well, when was that? And they tell me the time, and then I'm like, do you understand what was going on? you have any idea what I was doing at that moment and happened to make eye contact with you and you thought I was scowling at you and I had this major issue I was dealing with? Or you walked right by me at church and didn't shake my hand. Did you know I've been on the platform for two hours and I got to use the bathroom? Spare one more second. Sorry, that wasn't quite dignified of an example for some of you. But you know what? That's how silly it is, some of what we get all twisted up over. All that to say, whatever you think you know, you don't really know what goes on in here. And I will tell you, I'll stand before God right now in front of you and Him and tell you, I, I, I have no judgmental attitude over the life I've lived versus what some of you live. So it doesn't matter where you came from or what God spared you from. We need to remember sometimes. And then realize, you know what? I used to do that. I used to be that. I used to act like that. But for the grace of God and the blood, I don't do that anymore. And so, you know what? If I'm going to pass by them and not say anything to them, at the very least, I'm going to make sure that what's going on internally is not just critiquing and criticizing and judging them. And I'm going to remind myself, it doesn't matter what it looks like, that's just a message that says somebody is desperate for the blood. There's a lot more commentary I had here to read, and I'm running out of time. Not only I'm running out of time for a lot of different reasons, and so I'm going to skip it all. If you're interested in having a chance to read it, you can email me, and I'll send you the notes. You can read it for yourself. So let me skip ahead. Exodus chapter 12, and actually I'm not even going to, I've got verse 1 through 7, and I'm going to skip down to verse 11 and just read two or three verses instead of all of that. The children of Israel have now experienced, they're in Egypt, they've experienced nine plagues. They're now coming to the tenth. The tenth one is, every firstborn is going to die. The Lord gives Moses instruction, who then in turn gives instruction to the children of Israel Verse number 11, with regards to the previous instructions in this chapter, thus shall you eat it, that's the lamb that they've sacrificed, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord and the blood... What blood? The blood that was shed from the lamb that was sacrificed that they just were instructed to eat. That blood that they have taken and applied to the doorpost of their house. Who in the world paints a house with blood? Who decorates with blood? We were, we had a breakfast or a little fellowship yesterday morning we do from time to time with our congregation leaders and, and our corporate ministry leaders. And we and somehow, I have no idea, I don't even remember how we got on, but they got on on, on uh, pigs and slaughtering pigs. And one of them told the story, of, they heard a 
some guys at a at a at a some kind of military base. They had the brilliant idea they were going to go get a live pig and slaughter it, and then they were going to cook it. And they said they went and got and they brought it back to the barracks, and they they got a knife out and they slit the throat of the pig, and that thing got loose in the barracks and started running all over the place, squirting blood all over the place. Nobody purposely spreads blood. But they had been instructed previously in this chapter, you take the blood from that lamb and I want you to apply it to the doorpost. And the blood, that's what this is talking about, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You see, if you had just simply walked by and seen a doorpost painted with blood, you might have gotten a little grossed out and maybe even gotten about to throw up a little bit. But if you were somebody living in the house, especially if you were the firstborn in the house... That blood was the prettiest doorpost you'd ever seen because that blood represented I have been separated. I have been set apart. I'm not like everything and everybody else. And so the blood is my protection. Can I tell you that in 2015, the blood is still your protection? We're not killing actual lambs and we're not using literal blood, but we are applying the blood of Jesus to our lives. And I'm applying the blood of Jesus to my family and my home and my world that I live in. And the blood still works. Last verses and I'm done. Sister Trish, come please. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood that he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Can you imagine walking through where those sacrifices had been taking place and those animals had been slain and blood was everywhere if you don't know the context and the purpose of the blood in those scenarios it's nasty when you walk through that tabernacle that tent those places of sacrifice and you see blood that's splattered around rather than being grossed out by it you realize that represents my hope unfortunately for them all that blood could do was very limited what that blood did for them sure if we look very wouldn't have to look too hard somewhere in this auditorium right now one of these walls we could spot a scuff a mark to me the blood of those animals would be like us going and getting the paint can and the paintbrush, and we go and we cover up the mark we paint over the mark. And you no longer see it. But if you know that it was there, you know it's still. 
If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified through the purifying of the flesh, if it had some degree of effectiveness, next verse, please. How much more? How much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All those animals could do was apply a little bit of paint and cover up the mark. But when the blood of Jesus was shed, it was a cleansing agent that did not just cover up the mark, but it took it away. Paul gives us a list of things that we used to be, some of us used to be. And then he says, such were some of you. I am not here today to diminish or criticize anything man does in the, in the sense of trying to help people. That, that There's all kinds of programs that try to help and some of them have a degree of success. And so I'm not here trying to bash or put them down. But, but there's a very common one that most of you are some degree aware of. But, but the problem is it takes you so far, but then they tell you what you were. What you were. You will always be. That is the best that man can do. But Paul didn't say such were some of you, but you stopped and you're not doing that anymore. He said, you've been washed justified you've been sanctified and so what you were it's not that you just don't do that anymore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature all things are passed away and all things all things I'm trying to quit I gotta go I'm not even gonna have time to swing into mission barbecue and get a snack If you were here Thursday night, you'll understand that a little bit better. I'm trying to quit. We have this this challenge. I think we have this challenge. The challenge is this. God promised several different places in His Word that when He forgives us, He forgets. He said, ah, as far as the east is from the west. He said, I'll, I'll cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He forgets. There's a problem that we have. And that is you and I don't forget. And when you and I don't forget, that becomes an open door for the enemy to use it as an accusation against us. How could God forgive you? And that's the other thing. There's no promise in the Bible that Satan would forget. You see, instead of the devil's voice of condemnation putting us in a downward spiral, most of us, when the voice of condemnation comes along and starts criticizing us, we, 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 we jump on board. You're right. I'm no good. I'm dirty, rotten sinner. I'm, I'm a mess. I'll never get it right. I'll never get it worked out. Some of you, the devil, he don't have to stay around long. Some of you, he's got he's to be there a few minutes. But some of you, he just gives you one little line. He's off. 
I'll take it from there. Thank you. You're right. I am no good. I'm dirty, rotten. I'm a scoundrel. I'm hopeless. I'm the, I'm the worst of the worst. I'll never, blah, blah, blah. We go on and on and on. He's off to the next person. But instead of that being the case, I wonder how much some of our lives would change just like that if we would learn how to properly respond. And when he comes and says, you know, Skip, you sitting there on that front row and lifting your hands like you all something special. Don't you remember? And that's exactly what you need to say. Yeah, you know what, devil? I sure do remember. So you know what? Since you brought it up, let me just take this opportunity. Since you reminded me of it, here's my response to you. Jesus all over again I just want to thank you for the power of your blood that in spite of what I did in spite of the decisions I made you loved me anyway so I just want to thank you I got a feeling the devil would leave a few of you alone if you'd start reacting that way. You know what, devil? You are absolutely 100% correct. I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. My righteousness is filthy rags. But I'm not here today because of me. I'm here because of the blood. you stand please if you're not already standing I know there are some guests here today and it is my hope that if you're a guest the Holy Ghost is speaking to you but if I could be so bold as to say I don't believe this message today is just for a guest it may be for a guest but it's not just for a guest I'm preaching to some people today you're not a guest this isn't your first time this isn't just your second or third time but you've been here a lot of times and yet you still have not quite gotten the power of the blood You can't ever outrun what you did. You can't ever undo what you did. But what you can do is let the blood deal with what you did. Because one of the things the blood does is it frees me from the punishment I deserve because of what I did. If you close your eyes just for a moment, please. I I know what time it is and all of that, but I I want to open this altar right now. I believe the Holy Ghost is talking to somebody today. And and so again, whether it's your, your, your guest, it's your first or one of your first times, I open this altar to you right now. But I also, I'm begging some people today, it's not your first time. This isn't your first service. Some of you, I'm preaching to some folks, you've probably been here for a couple of decades. But the Holy Ghost sent me this morning to tell you, there's a bloody situation that's a beautiful situation. Because no matter what you've done, past or present, the blood still works. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. It may be just one person, but there's at least one person that needs to respond to the Holy Ghost this morning. 
Come on, it might, maybe it's a crowd, but it may not be a crowd. But I know there's some folks that need to respond to what the Holy Ghost is saying. Would you let that blood flow over you today? I know from a natural context, I know to the natural mind, that's a nasty sounding thing. That's a gross sounding thing. I understand that. Somebody, somebody needs to get in that crimson stream of blood today. Because there's nothing you've brought into this place. There's nothing you're dealing with today. That that blood doesn't have the power and the ability to take care of. Absolutely nothing. God, I pray that your blood would work in this place right now. God, I pray that your blood would work in this sanctuary right now. Let the blood work. Let the blood work. Let the blood work. Let the blood work. By your stripes, we're healed. Thank you for physical healing. We are grateful for physical healing. But more importantly, we need that healing of our hearts, that healing of our minds, that healing of our inward man. That's really what we need those stripes to work on. It's praise which not defined by your past because the blood takes care of your past you're not defined by your past because the blood takes care of your past in him you're defined by your future you're defined by where you're going you're defined by where he's taking you not by what you've done not by the man the failures and the mistakes of the past the blood the blood the blood fixes that the blood takes care of that
stand and sing with us? You're not praying, stand. Tell God how precious His blood is. Jesus. 